Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You may not always like his opinion, but you can bet he'll have one. Welcome to the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. So what did I say last Sunday when we signed off the show? I think I said something like, don't know what we'll be talking about next uh, weekend, but I can guarantee you there'll be something. And what a week it has been. What a week it's been, particularly from uh, the United States and uh, with the airstrike on the airbase, the um, Tomahawk missile, cruise missile uh, attack on the Syrian airbase. We're going to be speaking uh, about that in just a moment with Former uh, Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, the uh, former commanding officer of JTF-2, our uh, special forces unit for uh, anti-terrorism activity. So we'll talk to uh, Colonel Day about about that and other activities, other uh, incidents that are taking place, including the uh, terrorist attack in, in Sweden. Also coming up today, uh, Beryl Wiseman, the editor-in-chief of The Suburban, Quebec's largest circulation English newspaper, English language newspaper, on Denny Kader and his inflamed prostate, causing the Montreal mayor to forget a $25,000 check he received from a supporter. I think, Mr. Mayor, you better have those PSI numbers checked. How would you know you have an inflamed prostate? Uh, maybe we won't go there, but I... Uh, it's a legitimate question. How would you know? Beryl Wiseman will join us and talk about uh, Mr. Kader. Kevin O'Leary, today, uh, or just yesterday, actually, revealed his economic growth platform for Canada, were he to become the prime minister. And Kevin O'Leary will join us next hour to speak about that. And uh, from Washington, with all the activity that's taken place in Washington, we'll be talking to the um, Fox News Network Washington correspondent, chief correspondent, James Rosen, will be uh, will be joining us. Talk about mainstream activities in the U.S. But how does the immediate past commanding officer of Canada's elite JTF2 National and Terrorism Anti-Terrorism Military Unit view this week's major global developments? Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day is the former commander of JTF2, now the president and founder of Radical Ventures, a training and risk management consultancy, and uh, he joins us periodically on the program to assess what's going on in the world. Colonel Day, it has been quite a week, quite a week. Roy, absolutely, sir. There's a number of interesting things going on, as you mentioned, with uh, with respect to the U.S. and Sweden, and uh, 
a few other different events. So um, where would you like to start, sir? Well, I'd like to start with the U.S. airstrikes. There, most of the most of the most of the countries in the world seem to be appropriately congratulatory toward the Americans for having taken the step they did to punish the Assad regime for the for the uh, chemical attack on civilians. There are those who disagree. Clearly, Assad himself. The Russians are not on side. No surprise there. The Iranians not on side. No surprise there. But what do you make of the uh, of the response by the Americans, and what's the potential out, uh, fallout from that? Well, I think we need to look at this in terms of you know we're six and six years and change into this uh, Arab Spring uh, uprising from the early 2011. Clearly, the Syrian uh, civil war and the rise of ISIS has all been spawned from that. And quite honestly, I think it's taken us far too long to start reaching out and doing these strategic strike-type operations against the Assad regime in particular. So, so I think everybody, can, other than our adversaries, can rally around the fact that if there's a, re- a regime, such as the Assad regime, out using chemical weapons against innocent civilians, then they absolutely should get, get hit by something. Um, and something heavy, and then it goes boom, in my opinion. The uh, the Osama, not the Osama, the Obama administration, uh, clearly, if we go back to 2011 on the red line, and then subsequently, I, I accused the uh, former president of dithering, and that uh, encouraged people, individuals like Assad. Is that a fair thing to say? Well, I, I don't know what's, if it's a fair thing to say, I think um, from President Obama's perspective or even President Trump's perspective, I think what we're lacking here is what is the clear political end state that we're trying to achieve in the broader Middle East? This is what's known as a wicked problem. I would not think that President Obama nor President Trump really has a clear idea what we want Syria and the broader Middle East to look like. And without having a clear idea what we want it to look like after the fact, once you start applying military power and military energy into that environment, you create clearly effects, and you also create unintended consequences. So I can understand why the previous Obama administration maybe didn't want to go down that road, having just got out of Iraq. But now here we are, like I said, five to six years on, and it's time to be doing something to stop the human suffering. Colonel Day, uh, Donald Trump sent many signals with that tomahawk strike. Uh, one to the Chinese premier who received the news from Trump uh, during dinner with the U.S. president. Another to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, otherwise known as North Korea. And I know the Iranians sat up and began to pay attention. Uh, but but what do you do now and what are the dangers? You talk about unintended consequences. There are Russian military present in Syria and at air bases, clearly the Americans were careful to choose an air base where they thought or knew there were no, no Russians present. But, uh, but how complicated does this make the situation now? They've set the precedent of, 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 uh, of responding to Assad. If he does it again, do they have to respond again? And if they have to respond again, does the danger of engaging the Russians and maybe uh, killing Russian troops in the process become significantly more pronounced? Well, it, it does, and, and I, I do believe if uh, the Assad, Assad regime tries to do this again, they will get hit again. These strategic strikes are very precise. They are delivered to send, like you've said, multiple messages. And the other thing we can't lose sight of here is, is with respect to Russia and Russia playing around like they are in the Middle East. Let's not forget Russia is also playing in the Ukraine, and they're also messing around up in the Balkans. So in this big, great, big, global, great game that we call the geopolitical level, 
you're making moves in certain theaters of operation that allow you to gain advantages in other theaters of operation. So, yes, North Korea had better be paying attention. The Russians are certainly paying attention. Like you said, Iran and China are paying attention as well. So it's, it's an interesting play, but it's, uh, it's, it's very early in this, uh, in this new set, this new administration. So I think uh, President Trump flexing his muscles a little bit against those other powers um, is not necessarily a bad thing, especially when you're flexing against a regime such as the Assad that, like I said earlier, is striking its own people. So it's an easy one to rally around. Colonel Day, we have uh, Canadian troops in the Middle East, in uh, in Iraq. I don't know if they're in Syria or not, um, but they are our, including JTF2, they are our special forces units or anti-terrorism units. Are they uh, in play in any way now or increasingly so because of the American airstrike, it's difficult for for uh, Mr. Trudeau to be complimenting uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Trump for his actions and then not be seen to be actively engaged himself. I would I would I would say. Well, this goes back to the decision um, to withdraw the the six pack of CF-18s that we had flying because that for a while under the former Conservative government the CF-18s were conducting operations over Syria. So we do not currently have a strategic strike operation from a Canadian perspective to enable or support our, our ally in the U.S. in this specific fight. Do we have JTF-2 and Special Operations Task Force and members from across Canadian Special Operations Command in the region? Absolutely. But quite honestly, they're fully engaged um, with, the, the, with the fight in Mosul right now and enabling the Iraqi security forces to uh, finish off that bit of work, which on the ground is very dangerous, very hard, but we've got the right mission set for the, the Canadian special operators to, to pursue there. So going back to your question, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what uh, Canada can do. We've, we've pulled out the aircraft that we had in place. Um, when you look at the defense budget of just under a month ago, and we are not adding capability nor capacity to the defense architecture, Canada can kind of sit on the sidelines and, and wave, but as you and I have discussed before, if you are not sharing the burden, sitting at the table with the big boys, quite frankly, your, your voice is not heard. We're going to take a break, and then, Colonel Day, last Sunday, Benice Thomas was a guest. Her brother was Robert Hall, who was beheaded by Abu Sayyaf, the uh, ISIS-associated organization in the Philippines. And the family has a great deal of frustration over the manner in which Justin Trudeau dealt with or failed to deal with a rescue operation for the two Canadians, and we were told that we had uh, Canadian special uh, operators ready in the Philippines to take action. The Philippine military was ready to participate, already had participated by isolating that Abu Sayyaf camp where the two Canadians were being held. And the Americans were ready to go as well, but the word the families received or the families believe they know to be true is that Mr. Trudeau is the one who personally decided that there would not be a military action to try to free the two Canadians. I'd like to talk to you about the policy that we have, that Canadian hostages will not be uh, dealt for as far as ransom is concerned, and what our options are and what our our message should be as far as anybody uh, kidnapping Canadians is concerned. If we don't pay ransom, I understand the argument there that if you don't pay ransom, there's less of an incentive to kidnap Canadians. But at the same time, when somebody is kidnapped, is Canadian, expects the federal government of this country to stand up for them. There has to be something done to dissuade people from taking Canadians in the first place. We'll come back in a minute. You mess with the you bull, mess with the ball. you get the horns. You get the horns. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.
This is the uh, the weekend, the 100th uh, anniversary of uh, the Battle of Amy Ridge, as you know. And Pierre Burton, a number of years ago, wrote in one of his books that uh, it was Vimy where Canada came of age. And the uh, the stories of the battles at uh, Vimy Ridge are uh, are legendary. Three days of uh, most incredibly intense trench warfare with uh, Canadians succeeding where other Allied forces had failed to succeed. And it was the first time the Canadians had gone into battle with a Canadian uh, commanding officer. We'll be talking more about um, about Vimy tomorrow. Former Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, former commanding officer of JTF2, is my guest. Colonel Day, uh, just before we talk about the uh, the realities of uh, how a country responds, specifically Canada, to your citizens being kidnapped, what? Uh, how significantly important is Vimy, the uh, the 100th anniversary to, of Vimy, to the men and the women of the armed forces today? Well, I think it's a it's a tremendous tribute to the sacrifices of, of Canadians from coast to coast and, and Newfoundlanders as well that fought at Vimy and uh, Beaumont Hamel in uh, in the first world the first world war, the Great War. And I think what's actually interesting, and you, you hit it there when uh, General uh, Arthur Curry took command of the Canadian Corps. What he actually did, some could argue, was like, exactly like we do in the special operations world today. There was intricate planning. Every man knew exactly what the plan was. They rehearsed it down to the down to the minute. And so when they went up over the parapets, everybody knew what the objectives were. They were able to, to gather that force, and they, they got up over on top of Vimy. So it's, uh, it is a, a truly spectacular uh, display of courage under fire, Canadian tenacity in the face of a, of a very, very strong and good German army. And uh, at the end of the day, we, we got it done. So uh, I think it's, it's a tremendous tribute to the team forces writ large, and men and women today uh, do, do similar things around the world. Yeah, and we'll talk more about Vimy tomorrow. Now, on the issue of uh, what a government does, and particularly what the federal government of Canada does or doesn't do, when Canadians are kidnapped, when you look at the, uh, the, the, the tragic circumstances of Robert uh, Hall and John Ridsdale, uh, that should have taught us something, and the families are particularly angry, the, the, the whole family. I spoke with them last weekend, and they're going to be back with us. Uh, three members of the Hall family will be back tomorrow. They're furious at, uh, at Ottawa. They're furious at Justin Trudeau because they truly believe the opportunity was there, clearly arranged for their loved ones to be rescued, and the prime minister decided no. And this is after the families were told, do not try to raise ransom money yourself. What do you make of this? What, what should we be well, doing? Well, first of all, to the Hall and Risdale family, they are clearly an utterly personal family tragedy, and, and my heart goes out to them, um, certainly having sat in some of those rooms and uh, worked through challenges in the past for other Canadians that had been, uh, that had been uh, taken hostage in various parts of the world. The challenge we have as a country is that if we will not, as a nation, invest in our intelligence, security, and defense apparatus, then Canada does not have a unilateral option to be able to go around the world and, you know, protect Canadians when they're in harm's way. And what I'm saying, by, what I'm saying there is when a prime minister or the senior members of government have to make a decision on a military operation, yet they don't have the capabilities to execute it themselves, you start to get into a very big political game about, and I don't, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, about how, you know, what decisions you, you actually are empowered to make and which ones you actually have to go out and ask a favor to get made on your behalf. So the prime minister, I, I wasn't in his seat. It would be an extremely difficult decision to decide or not decide to launch an operation. But at the end of the day, Canada has some capabilities to do these things. And I think Canadians 
need to say enough is enough. Let's invest in our security, defense, and intelligence apparatus so that we can go around the world and, and help Canadians when they find themselves in harm's way. Increasingly, that could be the reality. So we have to have a better plan than, than no plan. Absolutely. And, and the sad part about this, in my humble opinion, is that Canada has some of the very, very best men and women trained to do exactly this operation. Yet we seem to be lions led by lambs. The political apparatus, the senior governmental apparatus, doesn't seem to understand that sometimes it's worth the risk to launch that operation, provided you understood the risks as best you can and mitigated them up front. In some cases, we just have leaders that are not willing to take that chance. And if you're not willing to take that chance, you're never, ever going to succeed. Now, and, and you're not going to be seen, as we talked about earlier, and you, you pointed out to us a number of months ago and just uh, addressed a few minutes ago, if you're not seen as a, as a significant player and somebody who's willing to get into the arena and get your nose bloodied if you need to, uh, you're not going to be taken seriously by those people on whom you may count going forward. A- absolutely. And this is, this is the, again, the, the, the national, um, I don't want to call it national tragedy, but the, the, the point we find ourselves in Canada is some of the very best practitioners in the intelligence, security, and defense space are Canadians. We just talked about ten, uh, Vimy. When Canadians put, their, put their, their best foot forward, we often deliver excellence, but we have to be given the chance. And in some cases, there's no political will to allow people to get out there and try and do what they've been trained to do. Because I am very confident, had the strategic conditions been set, despite the tactical risk, the men and women of Canadian Special Operations Command would have done us very proud. Okay. Uh, Colonel Day, do you have a few minutes longer you could stay with us? I, I do, sir, yes. Okay, I, I'm going to take a break in about a minute. Then I want, I'd like to talk to you about the, the terrorism and the, the, the most recent terror attack in Sweden uh, again, with the use of a vehicle, a, a hostage, or at least a hijacked vehicle, and a number of people uh, dead. This now seems to be at least one of the uh, preferred methods of the terrorists to strike. Uh, just before we do take the break, though, in about 30 seconds before I forget the question, what is the most likely, the most concerning potential negative fallout of the uh, Tomahawk attack on uh, on the Syrian air base? What, what, if, if something worries you, what is it? What worries me, and, and very short answer, quite honestly, is the Trump administration as, a, as an organization writ large and how they, how they wield that enormous amount of military power they have at their disposal. I, I'm not convinced the administration writ large um, has got the right uh, constraints on it, personally. He's the commander-in-chief, right? He absolutely is, and that's, I guess, my point. Yeah, uh, I, I get it. Thanks very much. Hold on, uh, Colonel Day. Thank you for spending the first... 20 minutes with us. When we come back, I'm going to talk some more to uh, Colonel Steve Day, uh, the former commander of JTF2 and now president and founder of Radical Ventures, a training and risk management consultancy. And we'll talk to him about the terrorist activities, the, the threat of terrorism and the fact of terrorism most recently, just uh, two days ago in Sweden. Stay with us. Think you can swim with the sharks? Talk with Mr. Great White himself, Roy Green. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.
Roy Green Show, Chorus Radio Network. Follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Kevin O'Leary will be with us at the top of the next hour. He just uh, yesterday released his platform on economics and on um, natural resources, attract and retain talent, reduce regulatory drag. There's a great idea. Uh, Put money into productive infrastructure. We'll ask him what that means. And unleash Canada's national resource sectors. And Mr. O'Leary said that... uh, If any organization, any group decides that it's going to protest in Canada against something that is of significant national importance, so that includes Hollywood types, he'll stop it. And by force, if necessary. So uh, the sleeves are being rolled up. Kevin O'Leary joins us at the top of the next hour. Uh, I just can't get the image of the the man with the... uh, of Mr. O'Leary with all those firearms at the gun range. That was, uh, I don't know if you saw those, uh, Colonel Day, but that was scary looking at him like that. I, I have not seen those recent pictures. No, I've been traveling a bit, Roy. I apologize. No, it's the, it's the maniacal grin with the, with the machine gun in your hand. You know, it's, uh, I, I better be careful what I say. I'm just trying to pull everybody's leg, but it was kind of weird. It was uh, standing there with a with a Mac-10 and, and let her, letting her rip for everybody to see it, so... Uh, I don't know if that's the tough guy uh, image, but we'll ask him about that. Now, <laughs> let me ask you about the issue of terrorism. We, we've been there's there is there's growing concern, and I understand why, and you understand why. There's growing concern about the indiscriminate nature of terrorist attacks, and we just saw again in Sweden two days ago. Somebody hijacks a, a beer truck, drives it into a store. People are shopping, just going about their daily lives, doing what they normally do, and we have fatalities, and we have injured, and we have a 39-year-old from Uzbekistan who has committed the crime. You and I have talked about terrorism, and you've said that we need to, as Canadians, we need to uh, prepare ourselves for perhaps more of this as the as the operations are uh, simplistic, almost operations like this, are carried out by individuals who have their own agenda, or they tie into an agenda of ISIS or groups like ISIS. But when it happens, and it happens repeatedly, the concern level continues to to rise among people. And I've heard a lot over the last 48 hours about that concern. When you hear about Sweden, when you heard about Sweden, what what perspective did you uh, did you have of that? How do we how do we how do we as- assess this, assemble it, and absorb what's going on as individuals? Right, so whether we're talking about Sweden or what happened in London within the last month, and again what happened in the Netherlands, and even back here on Parliament Hill about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, when that woman in Ottawa stole the vehicle and was able to get up on Parliament Hill and then steal another vehicle on Parliament Hill. Right. What, what we're seeing is individuals, individual actors with, with various objectives, uh, I would argue various um, mental states, um, you know, looking to make a statement of some description or another. But what's most worrying, quite honestly, is the use of what's called dual-use technology, something that in its normal use is meant to be more peaceful and or making our lives just better, i.e. a vehicle. Um, In this case, turned into a weapon, and a weapon that can cause massive death and carnage around it, like we've seen with these, these various truck and bus attacks over the last couple of years. So for me, what it, what it tells me, is that we've got some some challenges uh, across our various societies in the Western world in particular, 
And we need to come to grips with what we're doing with those in our society that have mental challenges and how we're trying to give everybody a chance to to step up and and not have to resort to these these heinous crimes. Because most of this stuff, quite honestly, is better described as mass murder and murderers, vice terrorists, who are actually deeply aligned with a cause. So there's always this dialogue between terrorism and, and murderers. What I'm seeing mostly right now are just mass murders done by sick people. Uh, who are not necessarily uh, hooked up with the cause, or who are? No, they, they may claim to be attached to something they've seen on the Internet or on the TV, right. but really terrorism is about attacking, uh, is normally a tactic of the weak against a strong, a stronger opponent. It is normally tied to a, a clear, distinct political objective. And a lot of these people don't really have a political objective. They're not trying to take down necessarily their own governments. They're attacking individuals, individual Canadians, individual Westerners, and that's, that's classic murder. It's, it's cold-blooded murder. So that's, and it's a crime, and it's as clear as that in my mind. Colonel Day, when we hear that uh, an individual who committed a, a terrorist act and took lives indiscriminately, when we hear that that individual had already been the uh, subject of a police investigation, had been... Uh, maybe interrogated by police, had been an int- of interest to the police for a significant period of time, or national intelligence agencies for a considerable period of time. You, you want to know how is it that you can be so significantly on the radar of anti-terrorist organizations within your borders, and then you still are able to commit um, uh, such a heinous crime? Is it simply because we don't have the personnel to keep everybody under surveillance all of the time? Is, is that what it boils down to? Well, no, this is a, it's a great question, Roy, and this, this is now we're getting to the nub of the issue. Because you're right, those individuals that are on our respective intelligence and law enforcement agencies' radars, we do not have enough resources to track them 24 and 7 every day. But what we should be doing is empowering our law enforcement agencies to do um, maybe some preemptive detainment so that if someone is having an issue that we're allowed to maybe get in front of it and not try and reach and go over the burden of proof that we need for a criminal conviction in a court of law. This is, this is the gray space that's being exploited by our adversaries. They know that we live in a rule-based society. They know that the law enforcement and intelligence communities can only do so much before or, or uh, without having that arrest warrant. And they are playing just below that tear line. And we are allowing them, because of the I would argue some on the left who maybe are a little bit concerned about uh, civil liberties, and I understand that position. I think we just need to have an honest uh, adult conversation about how does our collective security um, compare against our collective prosperity and freedoms, and there's got to be a balance between those two. I'm just wondering, uh, your your company, Radical Ventures, that you are the president and founder of, and here you are former commanding officer of JTF-2, a national anti-terror military unit, specialized military unit, and one of the very best in the world. And uh, what is it that, that people ask of you most frequently? What, what are the, uh, what's, what's the training you give? What, what do you get involved in as far as providing your clients what they require? Do you have a client base where folks and businesses and individuals are, are more concerned about their personal safety now than before? Or, what, what, what exactly do you do, and 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 for whom? Well, it's a it's a great that's a great question again. Roy, and I don't want to want to turn this into a radical uh, advertisement per se, but what I would say is, what we strongly believe in 
is that our, our decades of experience operating within Canada's special operations community and the global special operations and intelligence community and law enforcement community has given us a unique perspective on 21st century um, security, personal safety, and public safety challenges. And we've got a unique way of looking at these different, what we would call wicked problems, these problems that are not easily solved. And then we sit with our clients and talk about what is your concern today? What are your resource constraints? What is the objective you're trying to achieve? And then work with them to, to deliver a tailored solution in the security space, in the training space, whether that be driver, tactical medicine, communications, global recovery, um, those, those type of things. So that our various clients across many different segments have a chance to understand that we are taking some of those things that we learned uh, in the Canadian Special Operations community and making them available to the Canadian public space, private, private, uh, private individuals and private companies. Constantly changing world and a constantly increasingly nervous and uh, agitated world, it appears. Uh, Colonel Day, it's always a privilege to start, talk to you. Thank you so much for what you've done for this country, and thanks for spending the time with us. Thank you, Roy, and all the best to your listeners this weekend, and we'll talk again again, or again, I'm sure. We will. Colonel Steve Day, the former commanding officer of JTF2, president, founder of Radical Ventures, a training and risk management consultancy. Uh, We'll talk with um, James Rosen from Fox News a little later on today, the uh, chief Washington correspondent. I'm curious how James views what's happened in the United States this week. We, on this side of the border, we watch with great interest what the Americans are doing, and we comment on it regularly on this program, particularly since President Trump was inaugurated, and even before that, during the election and the primaries. But uh, how is the American media, when they're all over the place, they've taken sides. They really have taken sides, a lot of them. And uh, so how does James Rosen view what's happened this past week and see what's happening in the United States particularly? They call they call a simple um, democratic majority vote on a judge being in the Supreme Court of the United States so they get a, what was it, 54, 45, the vote in the Senate, something like that. So Judge Gorsuch is elected, confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. And what are they upset about, the Democrats? They're upset because their filibuster got uh, shut down by the Republicans so that Gorsuch could get into the Supreme Court. What does a filibuster consist of? It consists quite often of people standing up and reading birthday lists and nursery rhymes and just trying to kill time and cause problems. So we'll talk to James Rosen later on. When we come back, the Denny Kader issue, the inflamed prostate, which caused the Montreal mayor to forget a $25,000 check he received. Beryl Wiseman, editor-in-chief of the Suburban Quebec's largest English-language circulation newspaper, joins us in a minute.